Hey there, folks. Live from Jacksonville, Florida, it's uh, your old pal K.P. Burke. The show is still called American Loser. It is still telling the tales of the people who just come in second place, weird, wild stuff that's going on and well, the entire nation, but specifically right now, this weird little section of Florida that I'm very fond of. So I got a couple of cool things going on for you guys. I want to tell you, I met up with LP and my mother the other day. We stopped and had uh, some lunch over in St. Augustine. We have a, a game plan in place. So it's going to be him and me together uh, in order to bring you guys that exclusive Patreon end-of-the-month episode. we got a really cool topic picked out for you, and I'm excited about it. I think you guys will get a kick out of it, too, man. I'm very uh, I'm happy. We're doing what we can here. I appreciate the patience on this. I want to say thank you to the, the fans of the show who continue to keep listening to it, keep promoting it. Also, the founding losers, you guys are the reasons why this show even still exists. I would have gone out of business on this show a long, long time ago if it wasn't for you guys, but here we are. Thanks to you guys, I'm back in action, as always, man. So, uh, real quick shout out to uh, Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe Podcast Studio. They're always taking great care of us. They're the ones who helped me out getting me set up so I could keep doing this show from the road. Um, I'm leaning towards the idea of coming back up to uh, to Jersey here soon. I feel like Florida's a great place to visit. You know, I like it. I have a lot of good memories down here, but I'm running out of shit to do, all right? Uh, I told you I was going to do some weird stuff. I wound up doing comedy and drag. I did uh, uh, The Dice Woman, Andrew Dice Clay as a lady. <laughs> That was weird. That was unexpected, but it went pretty good. And then also, of course, uh, just been hanging out, bumping into old friends, driving around my old haunts and whatnot. It's very cool, but eventually it burns you out a little bit. Now, uh, we actually have some really cool stuff here. Uh, like, first of all, most of the regular listeners know I was stationed here in Jacksonville, Florida with the United States Navy somewhere in like the summer of 2008 is when I came down. And I have a, a weird love-hate relationship with this town. It is actually where I started doing comedy, and I also used to own a home. Hello. Drove past it the other day. I don't know who lives there anymore, but it's like, it, you know, the, the house definitely looks good and everything like that. And you have to remind yourself, oh, shit, that was a lifetime ago for me. But anyway, uh, interestingly enough, though, the city of Jacksonville and its uh, neighbor to the south, uh, St. Augustine, also the nation's uh, oldest um, incorporated city, I believe. So uh, St. Augustine and Jacksonville both have some good stuff to offer a young history buff such as myself when I was living down here. And... Uh, St. Augustine's actually consistently ranked as one of the top three haunted cities in America, the other two being Savannah, Georgia, and New Orleans. Okay, if you've been to uh, Savannah, Georgia, I can't recommend it enough. Love that town. It's a great little spot. Maybe I'll make an appearance up there one weekend before I head home. And New Orleans, which I've never gone to, and I think that that's probably a good thing. I, uh, just based off of the nonsense I've gotten myself into in Atlantic City and uh, Las Vegas the one time I was out there, I think New Orleans would probably kill me. So... Uh, anyway, one trip down to St. Augustine back in the day with my then-girlfriend uh, and my parents when they were visiting. Uh, it came down from New Jersey to come see what the boy was up to. So we took them down to uh, St. Augustine, decided there was going to be a good opportunity for us to do a little sightseeing. And this one tour that was titled something along the lines of History, Murder, and Mayhem, The Ghosts of St. Augustine. And we were intrigued, so we took the tour. It's a classic thing. You, show, you go down there during the day, you see all the sights during the day. You grab a couple of drinks, you have some dinner, maybe a drink or two more, then you go on this walking tour. And it's a damn good time, okay? It really was. Um, now, the guide was a lunatic himself, which we loved him from the absolute second that our private tour began. It was just the four of us on the tour. Uh, his name was uh, Dion Moore. He goes by the American Spinner. That's what he calls himself. And he would be doing these loud act-outs in the street. Uh, he would take you places you weren't necessarily supposed to see, and then... He'd also shit on a couple of the few touristy, like, legends that the town folks would use to embellish the store. You can go around on, you, know, you can take a, a many, many different types of tours. 
what I liked about Dion and the way he handles things is that he was uh, he wasn't giving you any bullshit. You weren't riding around on a trolley saying like, "Oh, and if you take a picture now, you might be able to see a ghost." He's just going to tell you the story. So, but the guy was fascinating. We loved him. Um, and then also, uh, St. Augustine is kind of a one-of-a-kind place, and uh, Dion being a one-of-a-kind tour guide, it fits. Uh, it turns out that even the history of that guy is pretty interesting. In his former life, uh, he wrestled for several major wrestling promotions against the likes of uh, Ricky Steamboat, and I believe he had a tag team match against Ric Flair. He wrestled under the name Cougar J. <laughs> he would then marry his escort or valet in the wrestling business, who, oddly enough... Operates the only comedy club in St. Augustine, and guess who got his start there? Yep, Teddy Motherfuck. I'm kidding. It's me. It's me. I'm the one who did that, all right? But I didn't find out all this until after, when I was at that club one night. It's Jackie Knight's Comedy Club, Gypsy Comedy Club in St. Augustine. Check it out when you come down. Gypsy Cab Company, the restaurant that's attached to it. One of the best places in town to eat. I always got a kick out of it over there. Um... But yeah, I'm down there uh, uh, one night hanging out at the show, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, my tour guide walks in from a couple of months earlier. I was like, what the hell? And turns out, he walks right up to the owner of the club, kisses her, and yeah, turns out they're married. I just didn't recognize him out of his American spinner attire. <laughs> so, uh, his tales definitely have had a great effect on me and my family's memories of St. Augustine, and I know he's dealing with some heavy, heavy-duty uh, health concerns right now, so if he hears this, uh, thanks, Dion. Uh, this one is dedicated to you, American spinner, all right? So... In order to get this thing started properly, I'm going to give you guys a wild story directly told uh, to me by Dion, all right, on this very tour that I keep mentioning, uh, with a little bit of fact-checking involved, of course. Uh, the story today, uh, it's going to be three. I have three losers I'm going to present to you guys here. And the first one is about this guy named uh, Augustin Verrat, okay? Augustin Verrat, the first bishop of St. Augustine in the Catholic Church, okay? Uh, if you don't know anything about St. Augustine, it's an interesting town because it changes hands on the regular. It's... Uh, Spanish, French, English, pirate, American. I mean, it jumps around. It moves like crazy. But that's what gives it such a, a weird, unique vibe. But the one thing that remained constant in the area is always going to be, uh, you know, the Spanish are going to, you know, they're going to be Catholic, all right? The French that are coming through, there's a lot of French Catholics. There's British Catholics. They don't talk about it as much because if you say it out loud, uh, you know, you can get in a little bit of trouble over there. But anyway, uh, a religious education, uh, at the very least, would guarantee that someone would be able to learn how to read and write. So... The Catholic Church certainly has its fair share of controversies and atrocities, but back in the day, it was also quite possible that your local Catholic priest might be one of the only people in town that could read and write. So, the priests themselves were very highly educated, as well as uh, the first of today's three losers. He was extremely highly educated. He was educated at saint Sulpice in France, Paris, France, which uh, is near where he was born. This is Augustin Verrat, born in 1805. Now, the beauty of the Catholic Church at the time was that you could be assigned or sent almost anywhere in the known world at that time, okay? And keep in mind, Catholicism spreading out like crazy. And Augustine Verrat got sent to Baltimore, Maryland. So, but uh, after a few promotions, uh, Augustine actually goes back to Paris and uh, puts together a team. They send him back there. He's going down to Florida. He's already visited Florida once or twice here. He knows what he's got to do. And he goes ahead and uh, puts together his team, his dream team of priests, in order to help him guide the, the church and the locals of Florida through, uh, I mean, it's hard times down there. you got the, the, the Florida cracker folk, as we talked about in the John Ashley episode. Um, that's, it's definitely, this is pre-AC Florida, all right? Pre-air conditioning Florida. That kind of comes into the story later. But while he's over in Paris, he also manages to get uh, more funding in order to kind of spread the, uh, the Catholic faith down there. So, as he's going down, kind of, he's going to create this diocese in the south now. 
he would then serve also as the third bishop of Savannah. So that's uh, Savannah for you, those of you who don't know. I would say it's a two and a half hour ride between St. Augustine and Savannah. I think that's about accurate. So obviously, you know, they're not driving cars and everything like that back in this time frame. So it was probably a day or two to travel to get around everywhere. But if you're a priest and you got the entire pretty much from, you know, Savannah down, I think you're, uh, I think you're going to have to find a way to travel a little bit. Okay. He's got a lot of gigs. This priest had a lot of gigs. So um, he winds up coming back down into Florida here, and he would serve as, a, as I said, the third bishop of Savannah and eventually the first bishop of St. Augustine. So he's very, very well thought of here. He uh, built churches all over Florida in towns like Tampa, Jacksonville, and even actually uh, built churches and schools as far south as Key West. So again, this guy pretty much runs all of Florida, you know? You want to talk to somebody, all right? You got a, you got a Catholic problem, all right? And you're in Florida, there's one man you go to, Augustine Verad. So... He was uh, extremely popular with his congregations, okay? Uh, and although he did land himself in the history books for a couple of weird... Sometimes you read a quote by somebody, and you're like, holy hell, that's a bad look for them. And it's because you're not getting the full quote, okay? That happens a lot, you know? Say what you want about Trump, man, fake news. They, they've been screwing this up a lot. I think the, the fake news thing is about as real as actual news, because there's always going to be a margin for human error in there. But... Anyway, uh, they twisted a couple of lines, and there was some bad reporting on a sermon of his that Augustine Verac gave, where it was during the Civil War and the events that were leading up to it. Uh, Augustine gave a sermon in which he heavily criticized the abolitionist movement, and he defended the rights of the South uh, on the basis of slavery, trying to say, like, oh, well, it's, it's their legal right to do this, blah, blah, blah. And that portion of the sermon gets printed out and sent all around the South, and they're like, hey, hey, we got, we got Augustine Verac, come on, the, the bishop over in St. Augustine is on our side here, guys. But that's the problem. Augustine only had a loyalty to God and his following, and he didn't support the abolitionists. He did not like them because he, he actually had a lot of criticisms uh, saying that they were uh, fraudulent, that they weren't really truly interested in that, that it was like power moves behind the scenes, which there's some truth to. Um, but there's always going to be good and bad on that thing. I think that's why Game of Thrones was such a great show because you're like, oh, well, the Starks are the good guys, right? And then the Lannisters are bad. And then you find like, oh, no, there's some really good Lannister people, and then there's some really awful Stark people. It's, you know... There's a sense of realism to it on that one. But uh, Augustine here, he, uh, he's an interesting guy. He's going to go ahead and he makes that... Uh, he does not support the abolitionists uh, because they have an alignment with a group known as the Know-Nothing Party. Okay? And who are the members of the Know-Nothing Party? You ask me, what is the Know-Nothing Party? Well, you'll have to find out more on a deep dive we're going to do on them. We have planned uh, coming down the road here for future episodes of American Loser. That will not be a Patreon one. That one will be free for you folks out there. But... It's one of those things where I didn't want to burn that topic, but uh, let's just say this. The Know-Nothings are an openly anti-Catholic group in America, so a Catholic bishop probably wasn't going to think too highly of them. The Know-Nothings are like a nativist party. They uh, Actually, a very famous member of that party is uh, uh, William Poole, also known as uh, Bill the Butcher, who was a real person. Yep. So good old Bill the Butcher. Picture that kind of a mentality. They're very anti-Catholic, so of course... Uh, the bishop in St. Augustine is not going to be uh, uh, giving any sort of ringing endorsements to them. Uh, also, they hated the Irish, which, don't get me wrong, I understand. All right, good old Kevin Patrick over here. <laughs> but it's uh, it's worth noting here that uh, he does not like the Know Nothing Party. He's critical of the abolitionist movement. Only problem is, Augustine doesn't like slavery either. In fact, he condemned it in the second part of that same sermon that the news was reporting about. They just ignored it. The bishop also publicly would later condemn Union soldiers that raided and looted the Catholic Church at Amelia Island. More on uh, Amelia Island later. Pretty cool spot. 
and uh, even led a daring escape from harm's way with a group of nuns from Jacksonville to Savannah. So remember I was saying it's probably a, I'd say it's a two, depending on where you're at in Jacksonville to where you're trying to get in Savannah, I would say it's about a two-hour drive. So that being said, if you're on foot and you're a bishop and you're trying to get, uh, maybe you have horses or something, maybe there's a carriage and you're trying to get a bunch of nuns away from two armies, yeah, that's an intense two hours. <laughs> probably a couple of days to be quite honest, but uh, he was very admired, uh, you know, in the community, and he was, uh, again, he was, uh, the Catholic Church actually was against um, slavery for the most part as well. They came out well before the whole proclamation, uh, I'm sorry, Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, I think there was a decree they had in like the 1830s where they were saying slavery is wrong, but we should actually, you know, try to, you know, at least give them some human rights if we are going to own people kind of a thing. Like maybe let them choose who they marry, you know, maybe don't split up the married families. But Again, that's that terrible thing with slavery is that it does get fixed, but it's such a slow-moving pendulum, you know? So you never really like, oh, a little bit better. I guess it's a little bit better. And then the people sit there and they pat themselves on the back. Hey, we did something. They feel good about it. But anyway, uh, this guy is also making a lot of... He says, oh, what you should do is, uh, you know, now that the, the freed slaves are, you know, they're citizens to a degree, right? Depending on how you wanted to look at it. I mean, obviously, there's still some issues with all that today, but... Um, there's an, this guy's up there on his pulpit preaching, saying about how you need to welcome your brothers. These are our brothers in Christ. You know, we're all Catholics in this building. That's what he was trying to say. So very, very popular guy. Very, very popular guy. And uh, so it makes you wonder a little bit if he is, in fact, so popular and wonderful, then why is he going to be on a show called American Loser? Right? How does he wind up on this show? You guys know what happens on this show. <laughs> Well, his story kind of begins at the end or ends at the beginning. I'm not sure how you'd want to say this, but the guy dies. Augustin Verrat dies on June 10th, 1876. And like we said, he was extremely popular for his work in the church, the community, and his devotion to Florida in general via the schools and encouraging Florida's use as a, uh, a health spa of sorts. So he's one of the early voices saying, hey, send your old fuckers down here. We'll take good care of them down here in Florida. <laughs> so when he dies... There's a ton of people that want to come be a part of his funeral mass. That's other visiting priests. That's, I mean, this guy's a bishop in the church, and he's also a pretty well-known public figure. So picture like a celebrity kind of thing dying or whatever. So he is uh, going to have to have his body preserved for a little bit because they're not going to be able to have a ceremony and bury him the next day. They need to wait a couple of days so that all the dignitaries can come in and visit him, you know, government folks, church folks, uh, just the massive crowds of people who just wanted to see and say goodbye to, uh, you know, the bishop of St. Augustine. So... Again, it's 1876, okay? So you should keep in mind it's also June, and the heat is intense. This is uh, pre-AC Florida, as I said. Florida summers are intense now with air conditioning. Imagine not having it back then. So the last thing you'd want to do to this beloved icon of St. Augustine is to let his body spoil while the grand funeral arrangements are still being made. So uh, in order to preserve the bishop's body, while the dignitaries are traveling and the crowds are gathering, uh, they put his body into a metal case, and in order for the crowd to see him, because, I mean, they're all coming around. You can't just put him in a giant metal case, right? you got to be able to see the guy. Let's go a little pageantry to this death, you know? They put a glass case over him. So you're hearing this correct, folks. A metal coffin, a glass cover it, uh, a glass cover that's over it now, and it's sealed into place, okay? That piece of glass is sealed on top of there. And I believe there was a way to get uh, some air uh, in, but there was no way for the heat to escape out. So they seal his body inside this during the heat of a Florida June. How bad could it get? 
Well, I shit you not, folks. Uh, during one of the viewings of the beloved Bishop of St. Augustine, Augustine Verat, who his remains are, you know, he's, he's laying in state, sort of, if you will, right? Um, well, the gases are going to build up while all this is happening. The gases are going to continue to build up. And I feel like some of you guys know what's coming here, all right? <laughs> the gases build up in the sealed metal coffin, and the coffin explodes, covering anyone within the splash zone. Picture you're at a Gallagher show, all right? And this is a, instead of a watermelon, it's the, the body parts of the bishop you just came to pay your respects to. And uh, the dude blows up. It's 100% a true story. He explodes. Uh, body tissue, blood, everything all over the place. So... Um, now imagine, if you will, picture the head explosion scene from Scanners, but during Princess Diana's funeral. Okay, so this, this nice regal thing they're trying to do here is now turned into uh, essentially like a scene from Carrie. Right? The horrified townsfolk quickly reseal the coffin uh, with the bishop's remains in it, and they rush to bury him in nearby Tolomato Cemetery. The spot that, by the way, that cemetery is closed. You can visit it. Um, it is close. They're not burying people in there anymore, and the, the bishop's actually one of the last people to get buried in there. But the, uh, the spot that they had hoped to bury the bishop in already had another deceased local priest in it. So uh, you got to ask yourselves here, guys, what's the right move? Huh? What's the right move? Well, of course, let's dig him up. We'll put his remains in a bag, in a sack, then we'll bury the metal coffin with the bishop's guts in it, and then place the sack on top of that and bury them both together. Guys, if you wanted a pet cemetery bishop, this is how you do it, okay? This would be how you do it. <laughs> His grave is a, a part of almost every single tour in St. Augustine. And when things come back to normal for tourism, I would encourage all of you to come down there and visit the grave of Augustine Verat, also known as the Exploding Bishop of St. Augustine. I'm not making that up. The Exploding Bishop. It's a true story. <laughs> And nobody tells that story better than Dion Moore, the American spinner. So hopefully he's back at it, too, if you guys ever get a chance to come on down here. So uh, now I'm going to move on to uh, a different loser, okay? He's, uh, we have a trio of losers for you today. But this number two guy over here is straight-up fascinating. Guy's name is Gregor McGregor, okay? You thought Conor McGregor was full of shit and bluster and, you know, bravado? Nope. Gregor McGregor is possibly the most accomplished bullshit artist of all time. In short, McGregor pretty much lied so often that it's now become impossible to tell the truth about him when historians try to cover him. His own biographers can't even tell, like, yeah, he just made this shit up. You know, he'll change his rank all the time. He'll say he's a descendant of some famous person. I mean, he is a total blowhard bullshit artist. So it gets very difficult for the historians to even trust what they know about this Scottish soldier and explorer. He was born in Scotland, okay? And literally his life take, his adventures take him all over the world. He's fascinating on this one. So his greatest con ever comes from the taking of funds. Uh, he was selling, um, he was having people invest their money into savings bonds backed by a kingdom or a government that he was uh, considered the prince of called uh, Poyas, P-O-Y-A-I-S. So um, he's also selling and granting citizenship to people. He's claiming, uh, here's, here's my title. I'm known as the, the king of this area or the prince of this area. So... He's able to con these poor people into going ahead and getting involved with it. Uh, they, they buy it. They're, they're buying citizenship to a country that doesn't exist. They're investing in nothing. They're investing in thin air. <laughs> but due to the times, which is, this is a, a guy dies in 1800s time frame. He winds up actually joining the British Navy uh, during the Napoleonic Wars. So that's the era here. So, um, 
But McGregor, he's uh, also he kind of gets kicked out of the military, and then he uh, he's also lying about saying that he was at a battle that he the unit he was in fought in the battle. That part was correct, but he had been out of the unit for an entire year at that point. He goes, "Oh yeah, we lost a lot of good men out there." McGregor is full of shit. So uh, it is like first of all, it's also entirely possible during this time period in Central America, where this early part of his story takes place, um, that. You have like these banana republics kind of a thing. You have uh, governments constantly getting toppled, uh, governments, uh, you know, expanding invasions, territories, uh, outside interference. I mean, it's a wild place pretty much 24-7 down there. So it's entirely possible that this guy has just bought himself some land and become a king down there. It's believable, right? And it's working. He's, uh, by pulling off what uh, he was, it's kind of known as an affinity con. So it's uh, that... Because he's Scottish, he's going to target Scottish people because they're more likely to trust him. Like, oh, well, why would a why would a Scottish guy lie to us, right? We can trust him. He's one of us. Yeah, that's uh, one of the most common types of cons, too, by the way. But anyway, he's uh, this new country that he's now the king of. Uh, it's interesting. He's uh, He has sketches and paintings and carvings done of the waterfront kingdom that these new hopefuls would be getting in on the ground floor of. So he convinces a lot of people to invest their savings into government bonds for a government that doesn't exist. And he even allows, this is the meanest part of the whole thing, all right? There's something pseudo-charming about con people, right? Con men, I'm sorry, is that, uh, is that it's not gender neutral. <laughs> but uh, con persons, so. Um, there's something kind of charming about them that you're like, ah, oh, you got me, you got me pretty good there. That was clever, what you were doing was clever. But... Um, this affinity con thing is really just straight up mean because uh, he's doing it to his fellow Scots, if you will. And actually, this is the meanest part of the whole thing. This is the one where you got to kill this motherfucker. All right, if you ever get your hands on him. 250 people pack up their entire lives in Europe and move to a place that doesn't exist in order to start their lives over in the new world. Imagine that's like that Firefest thing. You know, if you show up at the music festival that never happens kind of deal. But, yep, poor bastards show up. 250 of them. They show up there, and uh, they all of a sudden, upon arrival, they see that, uh, first of all, that sketch artist, whoever was doing those paintings of the, the beautiful you know port that they were going to be entering, well, that was total bullshit. And this place doesn't exist, all right? It's just a bunch of, un you can't touch, it's all jungle down there, right? And you can't even use it for, because McGregor knew this, because the land that he did see back in the day, um, he realized that there was no way he could, you know, you can't really live there, you can't have livestock in over there, and it's not good for farming. So it's just like, hey, you own a bunch of land. This is, you know, you can't be developing condominiums or anything back in this time frame. So he kind of just had a useless chunk of land that he convinced all these people to, you know, support him for. Like, hey, uh, we'll, we'll back the government bonds here for you. I got you guys covered. And uh, of those 250 people, um, 250 that set out for the Kingdom of Poyas, P-O-Y-A-I-S, more than half of them die. Yeah, so that's that's not a ha-ha, got-you practical joke thing. That's, oh, you're a piece of shit, dude. But <laughs> I can't tell you that story because, uh, um, well, I can't, I don't, I had to tell you that story, if I will, because I have to tell you the story that actually involves the American side of this story, okay, this McGregor character. What's he going to do when he's over here? Because as good of a story as that Kingdom of Poyas thing is, that is not the McGregor story I'm telling today, folks. McGregor was a lifelong soldier and bullshitter. He lied regularly about what units he fought alongside. He fudged his rank all the time. And uh, one way to keep moving around that way, he gets kicked out of the British Army kind of unceremoniously, uh, so he probably wouldn't be able to go back in over there. Um, he's constantly fighting uh, with these upstart governments. Anytime there's a revolt going, you know, or a type of a revolution, this guy shows up and he's like, hey, I heard you guys are looking for military folks. Uh, 
I happen to be this and that. And if you guys were, uh, you know, this was my rank in the previous month, so give me that rank here. And they're like, oh, well, shit, we need people. You sound like you are experienced, and we don't have the time to do these background checks. So, I mean, whatever, you lying Scottish prick, we'll let you in. Come on down. So <laughs> he fights in a ton of these different revolutions uh, uh, all over the place. He's uh, um, pretty much attached to a lot of big names in the, uh, the Central American world and the South American world, if you will. But... Uh, Anyway, he winds up arriving in America and uh, continues his constant issues with uh, the Spanish crown throughout his life. McGregor actually enters his name into the United States history books with this here story by raising a small army and then selling scripts for land in Florida. That would be him saying, hey, you give me money now and I will give you land in Florida when I'm done conquering it. Because Florida at the time is still under Spanish control for the most part and huge chunks that are just not inhabited at all by, you know, European settlers. I'm sure there's Native Americans moving around and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, he goes, uh, you give me uh, money now, and then I give you land once I'm in charge down there. All right? So you're getting in on the ground floor here again. It's You're my investor. And uh, in classic McGregor fashion, he's totally full of shit, but he's uh, chased down yet another good uh, uh, revolution to get himself involved with. So um, McGregor would sail from the Carolinas and attack the Star Wars cantina known as Amelia Island. All right? Amelia Island is pretty much one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Okay? Uh, it is now. It's you know, a huge seafood festival. I think there's like an outdoor jazz thing they do down there. It's really beautiful. Old school, historic Florida. But at the time, it was essentially, um, try to picture like, I guess, Tortuga from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean where it's just people uh, you know drinking rum and punching each other in the face and I'm sure every woman on the island is a, a hooker of some sort, and every guy has probably killed somebody. So, not a great place. But anyway, uh, so he winds up deciding that that's where he's going to start this invasion, because a huge chunk of the population of inhabited Florida is on Amelia Island. So, McGregor goes, uh, he's got uh, an army of about 80 men, all of them American, and he boasts out loud upon landing uh, at the beachhead, "'Tonight I shall sleep in Amelia or in hell.'" And the bluster and bravado winds up working out pretty well when the Spanish garrison of soldiers surrender to this lunatic Scott and his American marauders without firing a single shot because they thought the forces were so much bigger than what they actually were. So they actually had more men. They had the, the you know, dig in there is what we're trying to say. If you learn nothing else from that War of 1812 thing, all right, you know, dig in there. If you got the fort, you can hold the fort, okay? <laughs> well, the Spanish wind up surrendering the fort over this, you know, this fucking bullshitter, who at this time it worked, works brilliant. Actually, it never not, it really never doesn't work for McGregor than what you read about him. But anyway, so he's right. He said he's going to either sleep in Amelia or in hell, and he's sleeping in Amelia now, right? He takes this uh, fort, the garrison, if you will, without firing a single shot. McGregor would then fly a white flag with a green cross on it that he called the Green Cross of Florida. All right, he, it's like putting out his own symbol or something like that. Uh, he then put out several Roman emperor-like decrees, uh, the first one telling the residents of the island to come join his glorious cause as he liberates Florida from the Spanish, and the second was to publicly congratulate his men and his own brilliance on their brave victory. Nobody really cared. The locals kind of were just, whatever, man, you know, we'll let this crazy lunatic Scottish guy and his 80 men do whatever. They want to take the fort, man? Well, we're, we're already living our pirate life out here, man. It didn't matter to us that there was Spanish people in the fort, so who the hell cares now that it's, you know, just another lunatic? So he's flying that Green Cross of Florida, all right? He's about to start selling merch, too, with that, I think. Uh, shout out to all those who uh, have sent us back some photos of them uh, with the American Loser buttons or stickers. We do have something else coming for you guys, too, so keep that in mind, will you? All right? But 
some of McGregor's men uh, made their way down to St. Augustine. Okay, so that's probably, that's a couple days uh, of a, a hike, if you will, to get down from Amelia Island, the most northern point of Florida, I believe. It's near Fernandina Beach. That's where if you guys want to throw a quick Google Maps look, you can find that on there. But it's pretty great. So we go ahead and uh, um, he sends some men down there to kind of just get the vibe. Like, well, hey, could we take St. Augustine? What's the strength down there? And I believe it's about 18 men he sends down. Almost all of them are either killed or captured. So, yeah, you're not catching St. Augustine off guard. I mean, they have, it's called Matanzas Bay down there. That's where they were just straight up massacring people as they looked out over the water. So, yeah, Spain, pretty hardcore. Not to, Spain's hilarious because if you look back in Spanish history, uh, they have this image, like you really read about them, you're like, holy hell, this was, these are the most bloodthirsty people ever. And then now it's like, I'm from Ibiza. <laughs> Ibiza, from Hispania, we like soccer and wine. <laughs> it's goofy, man. It's goofy, but it is what it is, man. They were some bad mofos. You'd want to be messing with them. And you're not taking St. Augustine without a fight. That's like one of the crown jewels um, of the Spanish crown, if you will, around that time period. So, anyway, McGregor still got his little green cross flag flying up there. He's declared it like the Republic of Florida, okay? And he's, uh, again, continues to just be fascinating. Because uh, he's, first of all, again, he's putting out these other decrees congratulating his men on their heroic victory. It's like he's writing his own press, you know what I mean? He's cutting a pro-wrestling-style promo in the ring about how he's the baddest mofucker around and you're not going to be able to stop him and all this other stuff. Now, the men that remain in Amelia with McGregor, they start to get a little bit annoyed with uh, their leader, Supreme, because he outlaws looting. And the problem is now that they can't loot, well, now they're just solely reliant on the money that he's paying them. But McGregor is hilarious. So McGregor is paying them in Amelia dollars, okay? Amelia Island dollars. That's uh, you know, his official currency that him is now the, uh, the liberator of Florida. You know, that, actually, it was even funnier, too. They called it the Floridas back then. There was multiple Floridas. So <laughs> and anyone who has ever spent a little bit of time down here, they do know there is multiple Floridas. You got North Florida. You got the Panhandle. You got where uh, Mickey Mouse rules the entire center of the state with an iron fist. And then you got South Florida, and there's that little fun section over in Tampa where, you know, you can, Tampa's got a real uh, cool city vibe going on. I dig it down there. I'm also trying to come back to Side Splitter, so if anybody hears this and needs a reliable feature, you let me know, okay? I'm not going to name names. But I really, really, really like working with this one guy who also has a history podcast. <laughs> I'm teasing. I've already texted him about it. We'll see what happens. But, um,. But the men who are remaining in Amelia, they're getting pissed off now because these Amelia dollars, first of all, that's a currency that is not backed by anything. All right? It's a currency that does not exist. It's like he, He's pretty much like giving you Dr. Seuss money. Here, take some of this Monopoly money and go out into town. And if they tell you that they don't accept it, tell them that uh, to come see me. And then they're like, well, what if they just say, go fuck yourself, we're not selling you anything. And well, and we're not allowed to loot either. So what the hell, man? We gotta, this is getting ridiculous down here. And eventually it gets to the point where the money was so weak that he just stops paying them altogether anyway because he realizes there's just no point in keeping up with the charade. So uh, McGregor is starting to realize now that his situation is deteriorating. He might be in over his head. So he does exactly what all con men do. He cuts his losses and ducks out. Okay? He gets himself out of there. Him and his wife are uh, an angry crowd forms, actually, and they're, they're hurling insults at them because I think McGregor's thing was like, uh... Yeah, so our funding dried up in uh, the United States, and uh, I'm not going to be able to continue our efforts down here, guys. So uh, anyway, you're in charge now, and I'll see you guys later. But 
boom, he disappears, right? Him and his wife, as they're getting the insults hurled on them, they get on a, uh, a ship and they take off for the Bahamas. They get over to uh, Nassau, actually, uh, which is a great place for him because that's another island full of uh, liars, thieves, and you know marauders and stuff like that. Um, it is hilarious, though. The man who had proclaimed himself to be the head of the Republic of the Floridas now leaves his second-in-command in charge, never pays his investors back. So if you've ever tried to... If you bought scripts from him, remember I was saying earlier, like he would sell people up in, you know, the Carolinas, like, hey, why don't you give me some money and then I'll send, I'll sell you land in Florida. You'll get an inside deal on that, man. Help me help you, kind of a thing. Yeah, those people get completely screwed over. Uh, and then upon arrival in the Bahamas, this is where, this is one of those ones where you almost start to admire the guy again. I don't know how he did it. All right. I don't know how he had the balls to do this. But he arrives in the Bahamas and has commemorative coins made to honor himself for conquering Amelia Island. And I think it was like, uh, uh, Amelia, I came, I saw, I conquered. Uh, Amelia Island in Florida, liberated uh, by the just and wonderful Gregor McGregor. And of course, what's he have in his merch? These coins that he has made? The Florida Green Cross. So you want to talk about how Texas was its own state for a while? Then there was the Bear Republic um, over in uh, California. There's a couple other weird ones. My buddy Eric Albert always knows about some weird thing where... I think there's like a city that considers itself its own nation somewhere in like Arizona or something like that. I can't remember. But yeah, for a little while there, Florida was its own country. So that's kind of a cool thing or its own republic, if you will. So um, the men he left behind would actually fight off two attempts by the Spanish to take back the island and were soon joined and, quote, taken over willingly by a 200 man strong crew of a French private uh, privateer, I should say. Uh, people want to know this, the difference between a pirate and a privateer. Uh, privateers would carry letters of mark, which was saying that they were sailing in the defense of another nation and that they were pretty much like state-sponsored pirates versus if you were your own boss. So it's like big government versus uh, small business owners. <laughs> oh, I'm hilarious. See? I wish Kahuna and my dad were here to hear that one. They will be back on the show here soon. I spoke to Kahuna the other day, me and my dad just texting before I even started recording this. But anyway... Um, this pirate that shows up here, the former military governor of Galveston, Texas, all right, is now going to become essentially the ruler of uh, Amelia Island. His name, he's a French pirate named Louis Ory, okay? And uh, there's a great pirate museum in St. Augustine. I believe it's the guy who owns the 76ers um, that he's got this obsession with pirates. So he has this really cool state-of-the-art interactive museum uh, down there in the heart of St. Augustine. It's Absolutely worth every penny you go in there. And that's when I first found out about this guy, and I tucked it away in the back of my head. I thought this guy would have, it'd be great to have a movie made about him or something instead of a podcast that I do with my dad that I'm now in the back room of my buddy's guest house next to a cat litter box trying to speak into a $150 microphone that I bought that I hope is working, all right? <laughs> but Louis Ori, very, very cool guy. All right, fascinating human being. Uh, Ori would be in charge of the island for the next three months and is considered to be the pirate king of Amelia Island. So Amelia Island, if you thought St. Augustine had a lot of turnover with, uh, you know, hey, we're French now, hey, we're British now, hey, we're back to Spain, oh, the Americans are here, okay, cool. It gets a little bit goofy that way. Amelia Island, I, I think it's like something like 11 or 13 different flags have flown over Amelia Island claiming it. All right, I think the Confederacy was involved with that one too towards the end of that war, but it's wild, man. Um, but Amelia Island, very, very cool place you should definitely go to check out, but this pirate king... He's now running the operation over there. So for about three months, he's just in ch he, the king of the pirate king of Amelia Island. That's pretty much his title. Uh, he then peacefully uh, surrenders the island to the American military, who I believe it's uh, President Monroe is in the time, 
and he goes, all right, well, we've got Amelia Island now. We're going to hang on to this. Uh, Spain, we'll give it back to you, but not right now. Okay, we're going to hang on to this for you. Keep it safe. You know what I mean? And then eventually, that's how it winds up coming into uh, Florida becoming a part of the U.S. So, of course, it has to involve a pirate and a con man. So, McGregor actually does wind up getting um, put on trial, but it's like one of those classic things where they try to throw the book at him uh, with, with, you know, the, the charges and everything, and then they're not able to all stick. So he pretty much gets off scot-free uh, and then goes right back into his career, if you will, of trying to con people. So he was just a real colorful piece of shit, man. But then this Louis Ori, who you think like, oh, the pirate guy, he's the good guy in the story? Like, what the hell? Goofy, goofy place, this Florida, man. But I sure do like this state. Anyway, um, the third and final loser is not really a loser per se. It's an event, okay? So, and by the way, that uh, thing I was talking about earlier, if you guys want to read more about that, that is known as the Amelia Island Affair, okay? And it's uh, it's worthwhile reading. It's very interesting, but just that sec- that colorful character of McGregor uh, definitely was something that popped for me and I wanted to talk to you guys about. But the third and final loser is this event that takes place in Jacksonville Beach. Now, uh, in the mornings, uh, usually Saturday mornings, me and uh, my buddy uh, William Watson... All right, who is a listener of the show, great buddy of mine, great Navy pal, and uh, my buddy Matt Wagner, uh, who the two of them were trying to teach me how to surf. I was no good at it, but I liked being out there and trying anyway, okay? So we'd go out there, and you do something called Dawn Patrol, and that's where you go out, like, you try to be out there before the sun even comes up, and you're just paddling out in the darkness, and then you try to, you know, you're, you got the beach to yourself at that time, and it's always cool. So by the Jacksonville Beach Pier, there's actually a, a commemorative plaque that talks about this thing called the uh, SS Gulf America. And I was like, what the hell? I mean, I, gotta, I love reading these plaques. I'm Larry Burke's son. I've got to read this fucking plaque, right? So I go ahead, and I'm checking this thing out. And of course, this is the story here. And then I have to go home and Google it some more. I've known this story for a couple of years now. I just didn't have a podcast back then to come tell you guys about this shit on. But on April of 1942... A ship named the SS Gulf America was carrying an entire full cargo load packed to the brim with furnace oil, all right? And they're floating about five miles off the coast of Jacksonville Beach. Now, I know this site very well because I saw that from the USS Carney. We would go just far out enough that uh, the good old um, cell phone service, we'd be just out of cell phone service reach, but you could, still, you could literally see the lights. You could see which bars were having a good time. You're like, oh, Christ. It's a UFC fight tonight. I can see sneakers over there. That's the name of one of the sports bars in town. You're like, oh, and the girls, they all wear cheerleader outfits. We could be there, or we could be floating in this giant tin can as I fix the urinals on board. But that was then, all right? Okay, this is 1942 we're talking about here today. And about five miles off the coast of Jacksonville Beach is this ship that says Gulf America. The lights of the coastline made Gulf America a target just a little bit too tempting, okay? Because they talk about having, like, blackouts on the California coast and stuff like that during World War II because they didn't want to, you know, Japanese aircraft or uh, anything else, you know, possible thing. You know, let's not give them any way to kind of navigate and figure out the limits. Let's not give them an opportunity to hurt us, all right? But the lights are blaring over Jacksonville Beach. There's no blackout in place at this time. And uh, this Gulf America, it's just a little bit too tempting. Uh, people from the beaches were able to see the ship tugging along it was and remains very common for Jacksonville Beach to be able to go and see those out there. I saw a destroyer floating out there just the other day when I was hanging out, right? But the SS Gulf America, it's a merchant ship. And they must have felt pretty safe in the area because you got the bright lights of the beaches and uh, the close proximity to land. I mean, there's really no way that you're probably even trying to get a little bit closer, maybe see if a guy can use a spyglass to see some boobs or something. I don't know what they're up to. Sailors can't be trusted. But 
Anyway, um, they're doing this evasive maneuvering. They're doing a constant zigzag pattern, which is meant to make them a more difficult target, you know, for whatever the reason may be. And uh, I guess they felt a little bit too safe because they decided that around 10 p.m. that night, like, all right, well, we're done with this zigzag shit here, you know? And uh, I swear to God, guys, I swear I'm not making this one up. Within 20 minutes of them stopping the defensive maneuvering zigzags, the Gulf America suffers an explosion on its starboard side. By the way, if we want to know, starboard is your right side, okay? Your left is, the port side is your left side because they both have four letters. That's how you remember it. Port, left, port, starboard, starboard, right. So, anyway, within 20 minutes of them stopping these evasive maneuvers, a giant explosion and a huge fire now breaks out. And the 48-man crew is completely caught off guard. Uh, People from the beach are seeing this. They're like, holy shit, what the fuck's going on out there, man? This is nuts. Distress signals were sent out, and the order to abandon ship was issued. I mean, that's how bad it is. When you're saying abandon ship, it's just you're understanding that this is bad news. Okay, there's nothing we can do here. We're going down. Everybody get your ass off the ship. But despite being so close to land and only stopping their maneuvers for less than a half hour, all right, less than a half hour, they stopped playing things right by the book like, ah, we can take our foot off the gas a little bit here, right? That proved to be all the time in the world needed for a man by the name of Reinhard Hardigan, one of the most feared German U-boat captains of World War II, to use his infamous U-boat named U-123. Okay, Matthew McConaughey was U-571, right? This is U-123. Uh, and he fires a direct-hit torpedo into the Gulf of America. The captain would then surface his U-boat, and uh, get this one, out of humane considerations... He navigates around the sinking vessel so that when he fires his next couple of shots, they have a deck gun they're going to be firing, and they want to take out the radio comms and everything. Um, that They want to make sure that any shots that they fire, since they're so close to potentially being in the, uh, the, the vicinity of um, the ship, uh, the ship being the, you know, facing the shore of Jacksonville, if you will, they want to make sure they're good to go here. So they don't want to have any civilian casualties whatsoever, and he actually is a kind, kind man who decides out of the goodness of his heart to go around the ship and then fire on it, right? So the captain serves as the U-boat, and he makes sure these additional shots aren't going to hit anybody on the heavily uh, populated civilian shores of Jacksonville. Pretty good guy, this Reinhardt, when it comes down to it, all right? Not bad. For a Nazi U-boat captain, he ain't so bad. It is what it is. <laughs> the abandoned ship order has now fallen into complete chaos. Of the 48 crew members, five were killed in the initial explosion, 14 drowned in the water during a botched lifeboat deployment, the ones who are lucky enough to survive get rescued by the U.S. Coast Guard and are taken to Mayport, Florida, the naval station that the same host of this radio show once lived on. <laughs> so, during the time between the distress calls being received and the decision by Reinhard Harnigan to move around the Gulf of America in order to limit those civilian casualties, the USS Dahlgren was actually, it's an uh, American destroyer, it's now able to get out there. So they're now attempting to pursue this U-boat, U-123, and they're actually able to engage with it and cause it some significant damage. Uh, luckily, Reinhardt is just a, a brilliant uh, commander, though, and he is—he even admitted it himself that he was only narrowly able to escape back to Europe. So it's pretty wild. Now, Reinhardt eventually will actually come back to Jacksonville as a, a visiting dignitary of sorts. He receives almost a hero's welcome, and he even said, he goes, Jacksonville, Florida, they're very fond of me down there. <laughs> but... The remains of the Gulf of America are still out there. It's a very popular spot for divers and fishermen, uh, and that plaque that memorialized them over Jacksonville Beach Pier, uh, that is still standing as well. And now it's really cool because you can go onto YouTube and you can actually search SS Gulf America Shipwreck, and there's underwater footage. Uh, I believe it's uh, Think It, Sink It, Reef It. 
is the uh, YouTube account. And uh, this guy, uh, oh, guy or girl, I don't know what they are, but they actually have the exact coordinates up there. And you can actually see what this thing looks like. It is pretty cool, man. So if you can get a chance, uh, go ahead and take a look at that over there. Um, now, I gave you those three here today. We're going to be back to our regular format after this one, so I appreciate the patience on this one. Uh, I thought that it was three really interesting stories. That's what I wanted to give you guys, so I'm hoping that that was the case. And I'll tell you what, folks. I love doing this show. I miss my dad. It's more fun when it's me and him together in the studio. It's always fun we have the kahuna involved, too. And the sound quality is always a little bit better when Mike and Ming are involved, but uh, could not get any of them available here with us today. So I wanted to keep, just put something out there that was pretty cool for you. So I gave you Augustus Verat, Augustine Verat, the exploding bishop, all right, the exploding bishop of St. Augustine. Then we covered uh, Gregor McGregor and uh, the, the bullshit Republic of Florida. And then finally, that uh, the ill-fated uh, crash or the uh, sinking of the SS Gulf America. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one, too. If you like the show, do me a favor, all right? Continue checking out our back catalog. Tell some people about it. We are a word-of-mouth show, man. We continue to grow because of you guys. You're wonderful to us in that regard. Also, feel free to check me out. It's KP Burke over on Facebook. There is an official American Loser podcast page over on Facebook now. I, I try to stay up with those me uh, the messages as best as I can. Uh, American Loser podcast over on Instagram. That's good to go on that. And if you guys could just do me a solid, man, go ahead, like the page, something like that. Tell somebody about it. If you want to share, anytime you guys share us uh, over on Facebook when I put these out every Tuesday, I certainly do uh, appreciate that. Do me a favor. I'll try to do it too, but I want to post a link in there because sometimes people are like, hey, uh, it seems like a really cool thing. How can I learn more about this? And i got to give you guys the link so I can get my listens up, baby, all right? Because I'm not going back to excavation. You guys want me back in Jersey? You guys want us back in the studio? I can't go back to excavation. I need comedy to come back. All right? It's not going good. I had to dress up as a woman just to get stage time recently. It's terrifying. But anyway, all that uh, considered, guys, you're awesome as always. Thank you so much to everybody for listening here. And that was the state of Florida, American Loser. <laughs>